And those incredible words, I'll be there. And that's the promise that God gives us, and that's the, God, that's the, that's the promise that we stand on, and that's, that's the promise that we hope that you'll, you'll leave here tonight understanding and accepting. So no matter what the battle, no matter how big the fire, no matter how scary the storm, that your God will be there. And that's our theme tonight. In a roundabout way, as we, as we head into week three of this series uh, that we're, we started three weeks ago, Pros and Cons. And as we think about pros and cons, uh, we, we've, we've looked at, at, at a variety of different pros and cons, and we, we kind of have taken a, a, a lighthearted look at, at, at the faith and some of the issues that we, that we deal with. And, and tonight we're dealing with probably maybe the, maybe the most controversial issue that we've looked at uh, so far in this series, and that's, that's the pros and cons of, of waiting, because none of us... None of us like to wait, right? I mean, we, we don't like to wait, and we're not very good at waiting. And, and the reason we're talking about waiting is because we live in a world that is filled with a lot of really impatient people. Uh, last, last weekend, we went to, to Great Wolf Lodge. It was a, uh, it was a Christmas present for my, my parents, and so we went to church on Sunday, and then actually we drove down to Fort Worth and, and saw some of the stock show, and, uh, and then we came back to Grapevine, and we went to, to Great Wolf Lodge. Anybody been there? And so if you've, if you've been to Great Wolf Lodge, you kind of know what the scene is. You know what that's about. It's, it's about you know, like a thousand kids hyped up on, on sugar and, and candy running around. They're all wrinkled from spending too much time in the water. And, and then a whole lot of, of kind of semi-grumpy parents that are sitting around trying to figure out what to do with all these crazy kids uh, running through the hallways. It's unlike any hotel I've ever been at. Like you walk down the hallway to your room and, and doors started opening up and, and little faces started peeking out. And they, all they had these wands and they were, it, was, it was nuts. But it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we got there on Sunday, Sunday night, and we checked in. And uh, we were all hungry when we got there because uh, we'd been at the, at the stock show walking around all day, so we worked up a pretty good appetite. First thing we wanted to do was eat. So we started trying to figure out where, where to go and get a place to eat at uh, Great Wolf Lodge. Of course, there's a lot of places to go. You can get a Coke there for about 7 bucks, and uh, so there's a great deal on food. And, and we found, the, we found the, the pizza place down on the, on the first floor, and we took the elevator down, and we, we went over there. And, of course, there's no place to sit. There, You just stand up there. It's counter service. And we're, we're standing in line waiting to, to order our, our pizza, and there's a line waiting to order, and then there's the other line, on the other side uh, for the people who have already ordered and they want to pick their food up. And so we're standing in line waiting for our turn to order. And I, I noticed this guy, there's this, this man uh, about my age, he's standing there and uh, apparently he had been at Great Wolf Lodge about half a day too long because he was agitated and he had his receipt in his hand and he was yelling at the poor 20-year-old uh, guy that was standing behind the counter who was sta standing there staring at him wide-eyed, trying to figure out what he had done wrong to make this uh, this man, uh, such a uh, uh, such a beast towards him, and he was just yelling at him and berating him, and, and it's and telling him that that they had promised me that my pizza would be done in 20 minutes. I've been waiting here for 35 minutes, and you haven't called my number yet. What gives? This is wrong, and this is like some kind of now a civil rights worthy uh, worthy act that he's going to call in the uh, uh, you know the special forces to come in and deal with this. He's really really irate, and, and I'm I'm kind of entertained because I'm standing there and I'm watching this guy get so worked up and so frustrated over. The, the wait time on his pizza, and then I'm looking at this, at this poor guy that's, that's dealing with him and trying to calm him down, and of course he, has, he doesn't know how to fix it, and, and so he's standing there listening to all this, and finally when the guy stops yelling, he looks at him, and he smiles at him, <laughs> and, and he said, um, he said, I'm so sorry, sir, that you've had to wait uh, so long. Um, now, if, if you don't mind, I'll go get my manager, and he can help you. Um, Please wait <laughs> some more, <laughs> which wasn't at all what the guy wanted to hear. Uh, Americans are really, really bad 
at waiting. And yet as Christians, there, there's some guilt in this because none of us are very good at waiting, especially in this culture that we live in. And, and yet we also know that as Christians that we're supposed to be good at waiting. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I won't say all of them, but, you know, it's uh, peace, patience, kindness, love, self-control. Patience is in there. It's number four. We're supposed to be good at waiting. And, and I feel guilt because, you know, if you think you feel guilt that, that, that you're not good at waiting, I, I feel guilty because I'm not only a Christian, I'm, I'm like a professional Christian, right? I get paid <laughs> to be good at this stuff, and I'm, I'm a lousy. Wait, wait. I, I used to think I was good at waiting. I used to tell people, oh, yeah, I'm really patient. I, I've, I've got two kids. I'm, I'm, I'm great, and, uh, and I don't mind waiting at all. And then a few weeks ago, we, we had the brilliant idea that we were going to remodel our master bathroom. And uh, so we, we, we pulled the trigger on that and got the contractor to come out. And so they tore up our bathroom in about half a day. And, uh, and there's dust everywhere, and, and so, which means that for the last 12 days, uh, four of us have been sharing um, the, the, the girls' bathroom. So there's three, there's three women in my house and, and then me. And so I've been sharing a bathroom with, with three girls, uh, double vanity and a little tub shower thing. And I would love to tell you that I've been the, the model of grace and patience throughout this whole thing, but that would be a lie. I have been, I have been grumpy through the whole process. I, I'm not good. I'm not good at waiting. At, at times, I can be a terribly impatient person. It's, an, it's embarrassing. We don't like to wait, and we aren't good at waiting, and and it's really hard even to, to frankly, to, to even think of a, of a pros list for waiting because it really doesn't even make sense why we would want to wait or need to wait or why waiting would be a good thing in our life. And yet when we read Scripture and we start through the stories of Scripture, especially in, in the Old Testament, it's amazing to me how many, how many stories there are, how many major characters in the Bible there are that, that had to wait. And not just wait for a little while, but had to wait for a really, really long time. It seems that the, that the Scripture has a lot to say to us about waiting. And it begins at the very beginning of, of, of Genesis where we meet Abraham. Abraham, remember, was the, the man that the, the patriarch, the father of, of Israel, the one that God said, I'm going to make a great nation uh, come from you. And then, and then what did he have to do? He had to wait his entire life. He was 100 years old before he and Sarah had their first son, Isaac, right? So he had to wait almost until he was 100 years old for that promise to even begin to take fruition in his life. And then we, we, we move on to the character of Joseph. Remember Joseph? He was the, the, the great dreamer that, that brought his family uh, out of the droughts and down into Egypt. And he was this great hero of the faith. And, and yet and when we read Joseph's story, we remember that Joseph had to wait for 12 years in prison for a, a crime that he did not commit. And then we, we get to the story of, of Moses and, and the Israelites and the 40 years that they spent wandering in the desert, trying and waiting to get their turn in the promised land. And then we, we advance further in the Old Testament and we find this guy named Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, who, who God sent to wait for him by a stream, by a brook. And for, and for three years, Elijah waits by this stream, waiting to hear the voice of God to give him instructions on what to do next with his life. As we go throughout scripture, we find time and time and time again that God has something to teach us through waiting. And that's what we want to unpack tonight. As we look at this story of, uh, again, where, where God tells us to wait, God tells his people 
to wait. We, we want to see what, what it is that God has to show us and what it is that we can glean from this story, that what truths there are in, in waiting and, and what it is that we can, we can pull out of this really painful experience that every single one of us would really like to avoid in our life. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn, if you would take it out and, and open it to the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at part of the Exodus story. It's in uh, chapter 14. We'll read verses 1 through 14. One of my favorite passages of, of Scripture in the Bible. It's one that we don't typically talk about a lot, and yet, and yet it's one of my favorites because it has one of the most powerful promises of God contained in the Bible right here in, uh, in, in these 14 verses. So let's hear this part of the story. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of, of Pihar. I can't read that in the dark. Let me read it up here. Those words are too big to read in the dark. Between Migdal and the sea in front of, of Baal Zephon, you shall camp opposite it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has closed in on them. I will harden Pharaoh's hearts and he will pursue them so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people. And they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? And so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them camped by the sea by Pihiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Now, remember that at this, at this moment in, in, in time, at this moment in the story, the Israelites, we call them the Israelites, they're actually at this point just the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people had been enslaved by, by the Egyptians for 430 years. So you talk about waiting. For 430 years, they had been groaning and moaning and, and complaining and waiting for their, their freedom. Finally, after 430 years, uh, the, the scripture tells us that God heard the cry of his people, and, and he finds this, uh, this shepherd named, named Moses, and he, and he talks to him through the burning bush. You remember this story? And, and he, and he, and he he commissions Moses to go down to Pharaoh and to demand that Pharaoh would let his people go. And so uh, Moses does this, this big drama plays out. God sends 10 plagues upon uh, the Egyptians. And finally, after the last plague, uh, the Passover happens and, and Pharaoh throws up his arms and, and he's, and he's finally has had all that he can take. And he says, fine, I've had enough. Uh, Y'all get out of here. Get out, get out of my sight and go as far as you way, as far away from here as you can. Just get out. And so the, the, the Israelites are ready. The Hebrew people are, are ready. Moses leads them out of, out of Egypt and, and across the desert, and they're running as fast as they can away uh, from Pharaoh and away from that, that awful place, away from uh, their, their servanthood. And, and they finally get just on the border, right on the edge of, of the Red Sea where they are about to escape and, and head out across the wilderness so they can, they can get out to the, to the promised land. And just as they are there, right there at that moment, as they are about to cross the border, God speaks and he says, stop. 
And of course, the people get upset about this, and, and they look at Moses, and they, and they say, why, why would we have to, why would we have to stop? Is, have you brought us out here to die? What, what, what is the deal? And, and, yet, and yet God had one more thing to show them, one more thing to show them before he truly made them a free people. And so they encamp there, and they wait. And sure enough, as they are, as they are encamped there by the Red Sea, the, uh, Pharaoh's uh, heart is hardened, and he changes his mind, and he decides that he's going to pursue uh, the, the, the Hebrew people, and he mounts up on his horse, and he gets 600 chariots, and all these, all these officers and soldiers, and they tear off across the desert in hot pursuit of the Hebrew people, of the Israelites, and they, and they finally get close, and as they get close, the, the, the Israelites are camped there by the Red Sea. They look out, and they can hear the thundering of the hooves as the horses draw near. They can see the cloud of dust rising on the horizon, and it's at this point as they begin to see the, the sun glinting off of the armor of the, of the lead horsemen that they turn to, to Moses, and they, and, he, and they say to him, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have brought us out here to die? We were better off as slaves. Why did you ever bring us out of that place? Because now we're all going to die like miserable children out here in the middle of nowhere. You see, waiting doesn't make sense. Waiting doesn't make sense, A, because, because waiting is not productive, right? Especially when the enemy is closing in on us and we really need to get somewhere else. We really need to get on with our life. And God speaks into us and says, stop. And we say, this doesn't make any sense. And when I lived in, in Parker County, they were, they were really fond uh, out there of, of saying things like, you, you better make hay while the sun is shining, right? Because we've got things to do. Waiting doesn't make any sense because we have, we have deadlines and we have stuff to do and we have, have, have items to, to get done and things on our agenda. And, and waiting doesn't make sense because it isn't productive. But waiting also doesn't make sense, especially in today's world, because if we're honest, we really don't have to wait for much of anything. We, we live in this on-demand culture, right, where, where if we're sitting in our, in, our, in our house in our pajamas and we decide that uh, we, need, uh, we need that new pair of pants that they, we just saw on the, on the TV, we don't have to get up and get dressed and go to the store, right? We just pull out our phone and fire up the Amazon app and we click one click, the one-click ordering and same-day delivery in a couple hours, somebody's bringing it to our house. We want a movie. Remember the days when you had to drive to Blockbuster? Anybody ever been to a Blockbuster? Nobody under the age of 30, right? You had to go get in your car and drive down the road, and then you had to go into a store, and then you had to spend like 45 minutes browsing through the aisles of, of all the stuff and just try to see if there's a movie that you haven't already seen three times, and then you, and then you go and you, and you check it out, and then you had to drive home, and then you have to go and you put it in your, in your compact disc player, your DVD player, or your, or your VHS player if you're really you know, old school, and then you sit down and you... And you and now what do you do? You just click a button on your remote. You can binge watch whatever you want. Can't remember who the 15th president was? You don't have to go to the library and look it up. You just ask Siri. We live in this on-demand world that has conditioned us, has taught us, that not only does waiting not make sense in our busy lives, but we really don't have to because we are entitled to having whatever we want whenever we want it all the time. We have every resource at our disposal to scratch every itch, to satisfy every desire, to fill every need, and to conquer any enemy that comes our way. See, waiting doesn't make sense, and yet there's a cost to not waiting. 
And the cost of not waiting comes when we realize that, that just, like, just like Pharaoh and his 600 chariots came, came running after the Israelites through the desert and, and pinned them in against the Red Sea, that just as those Israelites, those, those, those freed men and women and children were, were facing an enemy that they did not have the resources to conquer alone, that every single one of us is also being chased by an enemy, that we do not have the resources to conquer on our own. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13 uh, we, we read this. We have that verse. Here we go. It says, discipline yourselves, keep alert like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. It's 1 Peter 5, 8. I apologize. Every single one of us has an enemy. We have an enemy that is, has our number that is chasing us, that is stronger than us. And for some of you in this room tonight, maybe that enemy looks like anxiety. Maybe you can't sleep at night. Maybe you take little orange pills to calm your nerves, to function through the day. Maybe, maybe for some of you here tonight, that, that enemy looks like depression or an addiction. Maybe it's alcohol or, or drugs or, or lust or the internet or social media. Or maybe that enemy looks like a low self-esteem. Or maybe it looks like self-doubt, or maybe it looks like grief. Maybe you lost somebody that you love and you just can't quite seem to move past it. Maybe that enemy looks like guilt or regrets or shame. And you see, we can... We can manage that enemy as long as it's far enough away, but there comes a point in each one of our lives in which that, that enemy gets close enough. It gets close enough that we can, we can hear the thundering of the hooves and we can see the, the glints of the sun off of the armor and we can feel the oppression of the enemy coming around us. And it's in those moments in life when, when we, can, we can see the enemy and it's so close that we can smell its breath and feel its breath on our neck that we feel very, very tempted that just like the Israelites, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to stop fighting and we want to run. We want to get out of there. We want to go back to the the ways that we used to know because it becomes too overwhelming for us to handle alone. And I know this because I've dealt with it. Because my enemy, my enemy looks like self-doubts. And a few years ago, that, that enemy reared its ugly head in my life in a way that was so profound and so powerful that I wanted to walk away from everything. Because everywhere I looked, all I saw was darkness and everybody that I saw seemed like a potential enemy. And, and I kept hearing this voice in my head telling me that I wasn't qualified enough to do this job, that I, that, that, that I wasn't gifted enough to, to, to continue on and that I didn't have what it takes to be a pastor in this church. This is before I came to White's Chapel. I'd made too many mistakes that my past was too marred and I just didn't have enough to work with to get the job done. And so I'd spend late nights sitting over the computer Googling things like career paths for worn-out pastors. <laughs> Car wash is always available. And then one day I was driving and I pulled over to the side of the road and I stopped and I prayed and I surrendered all that to God. And as I sat there in my truck praying, I heard a voice, and that voice said to wait, it said to be still, it said don't go back to Egypt, because the promised land is just around the corner, 
don't go back, but wait. It's the same message that God spoke to Moses to speak to the people in verse 13 of our, of our chapter. Let's, let's look at that again. It says that Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and see the, the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And then verse 14, he says this. He says, I will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to keep still. You see, that's the message that, that God wants us to hear out of this passage, that no matter how big our enemy may be, no matter how close that enemy may be, no matter how overwhelmed we may feel by that enemy and how, and how big its army is and how, how bad it smells and how sharp its teeth are and how long its fangs are, no matter how scary and big and tough that enemy is, that we have a God that is bigger and that we have a God that will fight for us. In fact, we have a God that not only will fight for us, but, uh, but Scripture tells us the truth of the gospel is that that, that fight has already been won that God has already defeated the, the, the enemy that chases us on a hill that we call Calvary. And what God is doing is he's standing ready, and he's standing there ready to hand us that victory. And yet all we have to do to receive that victory is to, to follow the, the command to sit still and to wait and to get out of the way and to stop messing things up. God is telling us that the victory is ours, but we've got to stop trying to go back to Egypt. And so the, the truth of this message is that God is so big, he's so powerful, that he can fight every enemy, he can, he can defeat every battle, and he can win every fight that you are in if we will only trust him enough to stand back, to stop messing things up, and to let God have control in our life. And so we have to be still, and we have to wait in order for that to happen. And so the question comes, comes before us today of how. How in this, in this on-demand world in which we have been taught that we don't have to wait for anything, that we can, we can conquer every battle, how do we, in the midst of that world, in the midst of those messages, how do we wait? And I want to give us three things real quickly tonight. And the first is that when we wait, we wait in silence. Psalm 62, verse 1 says this. It says, let's get that one too. There we go. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. You know, we don't have enough silence in this world. We, we, we live in, in such a busy, such a frenetic pace of life. And even in my own home, it's not quiet, right? We, we, we come home after, after work and there's, and there's stuff going on all the time. The TV is blaring, somebody's playing music, somebody's making a musically on their phone and, and, and there's people coming to the door and there's traffic going by and there's, there's ambulances and sirens and, and there's just noise around us all the time. So what I have found is, is that every once in a while I have to escape. And I have to get away from the noise and have to find silence. And, and for me, that's always been out in the, in the woods somewhere. And so, so every once in a while, I'll get out and I'll just go to the woods. And a couple months ago, I did that. I packed up my stuff. I woke up really early in the morning and I drove out in the middle of nowhere. And I, and I found this spot, this beautiful spot by this, by this big pond. And I sat there in the midst of this mesquite flat surrounded by all these huge mesquite trees. And I sat there and I did nothing. And I waited and it was so quiet and it was, it was, it was haunting and it was eerie. And it makes you nervous at the beginning because we don't like the silence. If there's one thing we don't like more than waiting, it's silence, right? But I sat there and I let the silence wash over me and, I, and it was deafening. 
And it was so quiet that I could hear things that you, you don't hear any other time, right? I, like I could, I could hear the sound of, of, of flies buzzing around and I could hear the sound of, of birds like flitting from branch to branch. I could hear the sound of a squirrel carrying a nut up an oak tree and I, and I could hear the sound of some little animal like scurrying around in the leaves. And then I was sitting there and it was so quiet I could hear the, the sound of a distant windmill creaking in the breeze. And then, and then it happened. I was sitting there and it was so quiet and it was, the quiet was interrupted by this roaring sound that sounded like an F-35, like going overhead. And I looked up trying to figure out who was flying a jet out here in the middle of nowhere. And I looked up and it wasn't a jet. It was a group of ducks. A group of ducks that in the middle of Keller, Texas, you don't even hear them. But in the middle of nowhere, it sounded like a jet hovering 10 feet above my head. I sat there and I watched those ducks coming in for a landing and I thought, wow. We need to hear the sound of silence. We need to be reminded of the power of the sound of silence because it is in the midst of silence that our soul grows ears, grows the ears to hear the voice of God whispering to us. The voice of God that, that so often does not come, does not come in, in magnificent displays of thunder and lightning like we just saw, but, but the voice of God that comes far more often in the gentle, hushed whisper that when we are silent can sound like the roaring of a jet engine. But we have to be still. We wait in silence and we wait with vigilance Proverbs 8, 34, says, Happy is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. I love this passage because it gives us this image of a, of a person standing outside the gate, standing outside the door of the master, not asleep, not, not just biding his time, not twilling his thumbs, but, but, but a servant that is standing there outside the gates, outside the doors, just waiting and hoping and listening for some kind of a sign of activity on the other side, some kind of a need, some kind of a want, some kind of a, some kind of a longing that it translates into action for him. And it, and it reminds me of, of my daughter who's, who's eight years old and, and she wanted to plant a garden this last, this last fall. And so I, I knew nothing about gardening, and yet my, my, my mom does. And so I called her, and we had this conversation on the phone. She helped us out, and we, we planted this garden in our, in our backyard, and, and, and she wanted to do the whole thing. And so I said, honey, you, you go do it. You, this will be your thing. And so she went out there, and she pulled the weeds, and I helped her plow the ground, but she got it all ready. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this, is, this is not going to work, right? Because this is a vegetable garden. It's fall, and eight-year-olds don't like vegetables. Uh, 39-year-olds don't like vegetables. But I helped her. I was all in. I went to the store and I bought all the stuff I don't like. I bought lettuce and I bought broccoli and I bought cauliflower and I bought kale and, 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 and we planted it in Brussels sprouts. We even planted Brussels sprouts, like everybody's least favorite vegetable. And we brought it out there and we, we dug up the ground and we planted it and we put it in there and then we watered it. And, and I'm thinking this, these plants are all going to be dead in five days, right? This is not going to work. It's going to be a fun experiment, but it's not going to work. And, and I was amazed because every single day, all through the fall, my daughter would come and she would get me every single day after school and she'd say, Daddy, we got to go look at the garden. And so every single day we would go out there and, and she would go and she would check it and she would pull the weeds and she would water and she would fertilize. And, and, and then finally, as the, as the weeks went on, she started to harvest and she got richly rewarded through her vigilance, right? And, and lots and lots of lettuce that rotted in our fridge because we never ate it. But, but, but she, it paid off because every single day she went out there and with vigilance, she checked it and she cared for it and she cared for the ground and she cared for the plants and, and the harvest came. 
So when we wait, we don't wait idly by twiddling our thumbs. We wait with vigilance. We come to the door and we peer out the window and, and we tune our hearts to see what God is doing in our life, which means that, that we have to commit ourselves to, to worship and to, and to reading scripture and to, and to praying and to do whatever it is that it takes in order for us to tune our hearts to hear the voice of God and to, and to follow him as he leads us into victory. We wait on God in silence and we wait with vigilance and we wait with expectation. Brendan Manning tells the story of a missionary family on, on furlough who was spending a summer at a friend's lake house. And they're sitting there this July afternoon. It was hot, and they were all out there just kind of enjoying the sunshine and, and, the, and the lake. And the, and the mom was reading a book on a, in an easy chair, and the, and the dad was puttering around in the, in, the, in the boathouse. They had three children, four, seven, and, and 12, and, and they were all running around and playing by the water's edge. And then a 12-year-old named Billy was, was out there on the dock. And as he was out there playing on the dock, he noticed the, 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 the sun shining off of this, of this aluminum boat, the four-year-old, I'm sorry. The four-year-old sees this, this aluminum boat, and he goes out there, and he decides he wants to play on it and he tries to get in the boat and he's walking around and playing in the boat and he slips and he falls and he, and he falls into the, into, the, into the lake in eight foot water and they hear the splash and the 12 year old sister sees it happening and she screams and she comes running and she finds dad and, and she's just screaming and crying and the dad uh, stops what he's doing and he runs over towards the water he strips off his shirt and he jumps into the lake and he starts swimming around trying to find Billy but he can't find Billy and he's looking all over the place and, and Billy can't be found and finally he comes back up and he takes a big breath of air and he goes back down and he, and he dies all the way down to the bottom in seven feet of water and he's swimming around in the, in the murky, uh, muddy bottom of this lake and he finally finds Billy. And, he, and Billy is, is down at the bottom of the lake and he's got his arms wrapped around this piling, around the, the pier that holds the dock up. And, and he's just clenched on with his, arm, with his eyes uh, shut tight and he, and he goes up to Billy and he, and he has to like pry his arms off of, this, off of this wood pole and he pulls them off of it and he, and he carries them back up to the surface and he puts them safely back on the land and and he sits there and they catch their breath and they dry off. And the dad looks at his four-year-old boy and he said, son, what in the world were you doing holding on to that pier? Why were you at the bottom of the lake just, just sitting there holding on like that? And Billy looked at his dad and he said, I was just waiting on you, dad, because I knew you'd come. You see, waiting seems impossible when our hearts are filled with despair. Waiting seems impossible when it seems like our life is never going to get better. But when our hearts are filled with hope, when our hearts are filled with the expectation that we will be rescued, that we will be delivered, and that the fight will be won, we can hold on for a long, long time. So friends, let us, let us be a people who know how to wait well. Let's be a people that have hearts that are filled not with despair, but have hearts that are filled with expectation and filled with hope. Because no matter how big your enemy is, your God is bigger. No matter how dark your night may be, the God that created the lights will cause the sun to rise again in the morning. The tomb that held the body of Jesus is still empty. The cross still stands on the hill. And our God, the God of, of the universe, will, the God that gave wings to the eagle will give you wings of an eagle. And just like that eagle, you will soar again. So let us wait well as we pray. God, we, 
are so tempted to rush through life and through all of its challenges. We're so tempted to try to take the bull by the horns and to fight our own battles, and yet, God, we all know that we have limits. And some of us in this room have been there. We've been at the end of our rope. We've been at that place in which the, the armies are surrounding us and the enemy is, is rearing his ugly head and it seems like we are gonna go down. And so God, it's in those moments that we need to hear the promise that you will fight for us. And we know, need to have the assurance, God, that not only will you fight for us, but that you have already won the battle and the victory is ours. And, and God, it is only left to us to stop and to wait and to stretch out our hand and to receive the victory that you hold out before us. So God, if there are those here tonight who feel like they are drowning, if there are those here this evening who feel as though they are losing the battle, who are tired of fighting on their own, who are ready to go back to Egypt, God, may they know that they are not alone. And God, may they have the, the assurance, may they have the confidence to stop trying so hard and to simply sit still and to wait so that they would know your victory. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.